Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are excited to be back, and I'm disappointed he didn't break the record while I was gone, so we got to keep working on that. Uh, we are happy to be back, happy that Austin was able to be here with you, and hope that he will be here again soon. We plan to be here uh, next week, and then both Austin and I will both be gone the week uh, after at Polishing the Pulpit. I would like to invite you to Polishing the Pulpit. Uh, there'll be over 250 speakers, 700 lessons, all crammed into about eight days. Uh, starts the 17th and ends on the 26th. And we would love to have you come up there to Sevierville. It's at the Sevierville Con- Convention Center. Uh, I'm one of the directors now. They've they promoted me, uh, and we'll see uh, we'll see how all that goes. We haven't had it for two years, so this is it's been three years since we've had it. We canceled for two years due to COVID, uh, but we are back, and it's very exciting. We have about 4,000 people registered so far, uh, and the singing is pretty good, as you might imagine. So we would love to have you uh, come and and visit us up there. Uh, It's free on Sunday, and it's free on the the Wednesday, the 25th. Uh, So so come on up and and enjoy uh, fellowship and great preaching. Uh, If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter... 15. I'm going to begin by reading the two accounts of what's what's known as the miracle of the Syrophoenician's daughter. I know that's not a very great sermon title, uh, but it's the best I can come up with uh, because that's what we're talking about is the is the miracle of the Syrophoenician's daughter. And we're going to start in Matthew 15 verses uh, 21 through 28, and then we're also going to read in Mark 7 the other account of this. Miracle. It is in there twice. Luke and John do not include it. So we'll begin Matthew 15 uh, and start in verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered her and said, Is it not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs? And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And then the parallel account in Mark 7, uh, and beginning in verse 24. And from thence he arose, and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it. But he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it into the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed." First, when we, we talk about miracles, they were certainly used to confirm uh, 
the deity and, and the mission of Christ. That is, he could not be who he said he was and then not be able to perform these miracles, right? They confirmed that he was the Messiah. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's teaching the people new teaching with authority, and he's able to confirm it with the power of God through miracles. So that is a, a primary purpose of miracles, but a secondary purpose is for us to see how Jesus cares, right? He cares about the people that he is healing or helping or casting out demons from. And I, I think, too, most miracles have more to teach us than, than just that. This miracle, in particular, I want to draw out some points uh, to do with evangelism and uh, with prayer. Let's start with evangelism. But these are two things in our life and in our preaching and our, our service that we focus on quite a bit. We often talk about evangelism and we often talk about prayer. It's because each is so important. And there are those that are living outside of our country that want to know about Jesus. They desperately want to know. This is about the northernmost point that Jesus traveled in his, his missionary work and his mission to teach. This is as far north as he uh, ever goes. And here comes a woman of Canaan. She's identified as a Greek and a Syro-Phoenician. That is, she is from Syria and is by nation a Phoenician. There are those outside of our borders that want to meet Jesus, want to understand Jesus, want us to teach them about Jesus. And sometimes foreign fields are more fertile than our local fields. Uh, in Matthew 11 and verses 20 through 22, I want to look at when Jesus talked about Tyre and Sidon. This is the region that he's actually in right here. And what we get here is he is in Chorazan. And he is talking about the regions of, of Tyre and Sidon. And in chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, he says, Woe, or then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazan, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Uh, this is a picture I took in Chorazan, current Chorazan, which looks like that. It looks like rubble. There's nothing there except for the remains of Chorazan. And we, we were able to sit in what used to be the synagogue in Chorazan and, and hear a lesson on this, this very thing, on this idea that, look, Jesus did many miracles in these, these communities, and yet the people didn't repent. And yet here's a woman from the region that he's talking about, and she's come there to see him, desperate, right, for, for her daughter to be cured. Some of the greatest acts of faith are taking place outside of our borders. 
And if, if you've ever traveled around the world, uh, you've seen a mission field that is, is ready to be harvested. Uh, you've missed something if you, if you haven't been out of the country and traveled uh, to these areas. There are some great men and women of faith that are in some difficult places to live and be Christians. There, there are places in this world where the government is not accepting, right? I, I was supposed to go uh, to Russia in uh, this October for my first uh, mission trip there. I was going to go with Charlie Cochran, who's been many times before. Well, as you know, things aren't going so well over there. They're not real open to, to foreign missionaries from the United States coming over there. So I'm not able to even go, Right? And it can be very difficult for people to congregate together. The governments get, get suspicious whenever you, you congregate. No matter what you're talking about, they're very suspicious of that, right? But in our country, we still have freedom of religion. We still have that protected. Sometimes people try to, to change parts of that, but at least for the time being, we're very blessed in that sense. Uh, in... Some of these places, they don't have the freedoms we have, but here is a woman of faith. She's outside the land of Israel, and in Matthew, there's only mention of two individuals where Jesus says, you have great faith. And I find it interesting that in both of those, one is the centurion who comes to him on behalf of his servant, right? And Jesus says, okay, I'll come and and heal your servant. And the centurion says what? He says, well, you don't even have to come. I understand authority. I understand you have the authority. You could do it from right here. You don't have to come to my house. And he says, what? Oh, you have greater greater faith than I found in all the land of Israel. That's one instance where Jesus said someone had great faith in the book of Matthew. And the other is this woman here. She had great faith. Both are Gentiles. Both are people who the people they are coming on behalf of are cured without Jesus even going to them. Isn't that interesting? I find that to be fascinating. In many places on earth, they only get the crumbs that fall from our tables. It's the same as Jesus is talking about and making a point about here. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. Now I know we're upset about inflation and gas prices and all that. I'm upset about it too. But the the fact is that if you look at the whole world, if you make just $20,000 or more a year, you're in the top 4% of the world's population. Just think about that. $20,000 we consider not a very good salary here, right? But in terms of world population, we're in the top But as rich as we are physically, we're really richer spiritually in the sense that we live in a nation that has had the Lord's church for hundreds of years. We live in an area of that nation where there are churches within our driving range of a couple of hours. There are probably hundreds of churches of Christ. Good, excellent gospel preaching is common to us. It's, it's available to us. We can go almost any day of the week to a gospel meeting or a VBS or, or a special 
day, a special Saturday. There, there's stuff available all the time, right? Preaching is available. Churches are available. In Matthew eleven twenty and twenty two, which we just twenty through twenty two, which we just read, it tells us about blessings that our country has in comparison to these other countries. He's saying the same thing about Chorazan here, as all these mighty works have been done, and they, if they had been done entire inside them, they would have repented. Right? We are so spiritually blessed, and yet oftentimes we take these things <clears throat> for granted. Not only do some of these places, some of these people in foreign works only get the crumbs that fall from the table, they are happy and excited to get them. They are glad whenever they get anything, right? Because there's such desperate need for it. Uh, you guys, I don't think, know Loy Mitchell, but he was my, my stepdad. He married my mom after my dad passed away. And he was a, a, a mighty gospel preacher. I mean, he, he, uh, he, watching him preach is like a master class in preaching and, and connecting with uh, the audience. I, I can't pull off half of what he was able to, to pull off, uh, but he's very good at engaging the audience. Uh, and he, he honed those skills by preaching, being a missionary to Rhodesia, which eventually became Zimbabwe. Uh, he was there during some of the civil war that was there. Uh, and then after 28 years, I think it is, he, he came back to the United States, but he continued to make trips. They founded a preaching school over there, and he would make trips and visit the congregations. And, and he told me, he's passed away now, but he told me <coughs> a lot about the people in Africa. Now, I've never been. My mom's been many times, so she can, she can tell you. She has, she has witnessed this, and she can tell you about it. But he said people would travel many miles. They would walk to church many miles to come to church to come to the services, to come to worship on Sunday. And when they get there, they expect at least an hour lesson. If you're going to preach, you've got to preach at least an hour. I mean, we've walked a long way, right? And then after the preaching on Sunday morning, you're going to expect 30 to 45 minutes of observing the Lord's Supper. And many times, uh, it will just be in a cup that they pass around. One time, he said... Uh, he sat up front because he knew that they didn't have the individual cups. They just passed the cup around. So he sat up front so he could be one of the first. Well, they started in the back. And by the time it got to him, it had a fly swimming around in it, too. But they're taking to the Lord's Supper. They'll spend 30 to 45 minutes doing it. They will have almost another sermon talking about the Lord's Supper and observing it and thinking on these things and showing the Lord's death. Until he comes. And then there's going to be another sermon. And then after that a meal. And then more preaching. And <coughs> one time Lloyd told me that he was tired. And his voice was starting to give out after a day of preaching at multiple congregations. They would go to many places. They're trying to, you know, you're spread thin. You're trying to go as many places as possible. But he was tired and he only preached for 25 minutes. And when he sat down, they came to her, are you sick? Are you okay? We want more, right? If I, if I stop 
preach it at 25 minutes, you guys would be like, good, we can get to the restaurants a little bit early, right? <laughs> and I understand, that's the culture that we, we live in. But they knew he was only going to be there for a short time, and they wanted to soak up every bit of it, right? They're, they're hungry for the meat of the word. I've seen the same thing play out at Polish the Pulpit. I'm about to go back again after three years. We haven't had it for two And this is the third year we're able to have it again. There are brethren that are coming from India, Africa, some from the Middle East, uh, from Asia. And when they get there and they see 250 speakers and 700 lessons and bookstores with all this material and stuff for children and stuff. I mean, they are, you should see their eyes. They've never seen anything like that before. They get flash drive with 500 lessons on it. It's a treasure to them. I mean, they are amazed and they are so excited and shocked at the abundance that we have. But we we take it for granted. And we need to get some of that appreciation for what God has blessed us with and then go out and share it with others. Sometimes we act like we're under the limited commission, like we, we just have the commission to our family, our friends, but we're not. We have the commission, the great commission, to go into the whole world. <clears throat> Jesus points out at this point in his ministry that it's an opportunity for the Jews uh, to obey, for them. He's calling them to repentance. But Jesus knew that someday his mission would be for the whole world. Now, this is kind of an odd story, right, that we read. He's kind of what we would think is rude to her, isn't he? I mean, first, he's not even answering her. Then his disciples come and they're like, make her go away. She is annoying. We're trying to hide you here and she's drawing attention to you. And, uh, and then Jesus, when he does answer her, he talks about being fed and, and the dogs and all this stuff. But first, when Jesus doesn't answer her, think about another time. There's a couple of times when Jesus doesn't answer people. I always find that interesting when you compare how Jesus acts in one instance with how he acts in another. There is the instance where they bring out the woman taken in adultery and they're trying to trap Jesus. Well, he says he's going to forgive sinners. We're going to get him. We're going to trap him. And they ask him what should be done with her. And he doesn't answer them. He actually stoops down and starts writing on the, the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Some people, th- I like to think, he starts writing the names of the accusers and their sins, and, and they get quiet quick. I don't know if that's the case, but I, I like to think it is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, whatever he was writing, he doesn't answer them directly. And then he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Another time that Jesus didn't answer people, was at his trials. It, it was almost his, uh, we call it modus operandi, right? It's, this is his way he is addressing these trials. He's before the high priest in Matthew 26. In fact, the high priest even slaps him. Uh, and yet he doesn't answer some of the direct questions from the high priest. In Matthew uh, 27, Part of the trials before Pilate, he's not answering Pilate. Although he does provide some answers later to Pilate, here he doesn't answer him. He's not going to defend himself 
in this case. And then in Luke 6, 9, he's before Herod. Herod, who had killed John. And now wants Jesus to perform a miracle. He wants to see, you know, a magic trick, essentially. He wants Jesus to perform for him. It's a difficult circumstance, but Jesus doesn't even answer him. Then Jesus talks about the children being fed and the dogs, and, and that's children, the Jews, compared to a, an often term that they would use for Gentiles being dogs. He's bringing that to the forefront. Now, some think that Jesus was, was testing her. He was trying her faith to use the term uh, that the Jews used for Gentiles, dogs. Uh, and some think that Jesus is trying to show his disciples that this is how the Jews treat everyone, and this is not how we are to treat people. And maybe that's the case, but they they don't listen. You know, they make fun of them. They don't show compassion. They don't show caring. And Jesus does. But and maybe it's some of both of those things. But she keeps coming. She doesn't stop. She's desperate, right? And Jesus says to preach the gospel to every creature. People have been chasing Jesus forever. Certainly here when he was on earth. In Mark's account that we see with Jesus can't be hidden. They're trying to hide him, evidently to give him some rest. Also, there are those who are seeking to to hurt him or try to trap him. And so he goes here to try to, to get some rest. But he can't be hidden. She finds him. She hears he's there. The rumors have spread that he's here. Jesus is here. The opportunity for what you need to save your daughter is there. And so she goes, and she hunts him down. There have been a lot of people that try to hide Jesus, right? It doesn't ever work out very well. People say in our country there's a separation of church and state, right? We're going to hide Jesus. He's not in the government. Uh, And yet, he's in our laws. He's in our morals of our country. He's in our documents. He's in our monuments, right? They they try to hide him, but it's, it's impossible to hide Jesus. There's really only one way... Uh, to hide Jesus, it's, it's the Bible prescribes it. If you want to hide Jesus, it's in Matthew thirteen fifteen. It says you've got to stop your ears up and close your eyes. You know, I always think of Barney Fife doing that. He didn't want to hear. Ah, 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 right? It's like that. That's the only way to hide Jesus to keep him out. Now there are a lot of people in our society doing that, but that's the only way to keep Jesus hidden. But there are a lot of people with closed eyes. And sometimes we want to send away those that draw near. Sometimes we're tired or sometimes they're not on our social status or they've got problems and, and we don't want them to make their problems our problems. We see them as disruption to our work rather than our work. And I think Jesus is drawing the point out here. He's saying, look, I don't think Jesus saw her as a disruption to his work. I think he sees her as his work. Right? I'm going to make some points to my disciples here, and eventually they're going to write those things down, and they're going to be able to make points to the whole world, is that we are here to seek and save the lost. And she fell into that category. So there are many things, I think, <clears throat> to... 
point to evangelism. But I also want to bring out some points to do with prayer. Now, I want to fairly quickly go through all of these, but there are several points that I want to talk about uh, with prayer, and I'll put them all up on the screen, uh, granted in tiny print, uh, as, as we go. And first, I want to point out that she came timely. She didn't wait. She hears that Jesus is near, and she comes. She sees an opportunity. It might be her only opportunity, and she takes it. And, of course, she's not the only one. Many people are coming to Jesus in this way. He's being almost mobbed everywhere he goes, right? But we see this principle even in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Call on the Lord when he is near, while he may be found. Well, she's doing that. She's heard that Jesus is in her region, and she's traveling to him. Why would she do that? Well, secondly, she came desperately. She has a desperate need. She, her daughter has an unclean spirit, is, is possessed by a demon, and there's no solution. She cannot find someone to to exercise this demon out of her daughter. She has a deep need. The demon possesses her, and that's going to be destructive to her and to her life. Demons, we find, as we we look at them uh, being cast out by Jesus, that they are destructive when they are in the person. They ruin the person's life, right? Right? But they are also destructive when they come out. You know, they're violent when they come out. When they go into the pigs, right? What do they do? They run off a cliff. I think there's a lesson to be learned about from demon possession and that it demonstrates how little Satan cares about those that he gets, right? He doesn't care what happens to us when he's in control of us. He doesn't happen what care what happens to us whenever we when he loses control of us, Satan doesn't care about us, but Jesus does. So where could she go but to the Lord, right? And we should come to Jesus when we are dealing with problems. Now, I think we get on to people sometimes. We say that they only turn to Jesus when things are bad, right? They only start praying to God when they're in desperate need. Why is that? It's because it's the only place to go, right? When you run out of all the options, when you've you finally figured out that you've tried all these things and there's nothing you can do but turn to God, turn to Jesus, right? We should come to Jesus when we have problems. Now, we should develop our prayer life and our, our spiritual life to the point where we don't just go to Jesus when we have a problem. We don't just turn to prayer to the Lord when we have a problem. It's not the only time we turn to God. But Hebrews 4.16 says it too. It says that come when you have a time of need, right? David cried, hear my cry, O God, in Psalm 61 and in other places. Hear me when I call, right? Where else are we supposed to go? Jesus, God, has the answer, right? When we're in desperate need, because of sin, he has the only answer, the only solution to it is God has provided the solution through his son who came and died 
for us and then seals us by the Spirit in Jesus, in the church, in our saved state. So that as long as we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we will be with God. We are reconciled with him. Third, she came humbly. Matthew 15, 22 says she's asking for mercy. Mark records that she came and fell at his feet, right? She comes humbly before Jesus. And we have to approach God humbly. And that works hand in hand with my next point, which is reverently. She comes to God. She comes to Jesus reverently. She calls him Lord in 15, 22, 25, 27. She calls him Son of David, which is an expression normally the Jews would use towards the Messiah. Uh, but there's also that connection to Tyre. The, the king of Tyre loved David, and he supplied the wood for the temple of Solomon because of David. So there's that connection to Tyre from that as well. And we think about how we're to approach the throne of God in prayer. We're to do so reverently, right? humbly and reverently, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverently, we're approaching reverently. Fifth, she came steadfastly. Uh, This is probably the most remarkable thing about her and the reason that Jesus says she has great faith. She sticks to it when he doesn't answer her. When he's trying to be hidden, she finds him. When he doesn't answer her, she continues on. When the disciples are complaining about her and they're talking about her, she continues on. And when he talks to her and he says, why should I I give that to the dogs? She's insulted. She continues on. Would we do that? You know, she says, true, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs. I love how steadfast she is, right? We get discouraged so easily. It's so easy to become offended and stop worshiping or stop coming to church, being around brothers and sisters. It's easy to to get offended at something that the preacher says or somebody doesn't talk to me or somebody did talk to me and and offended me. I'm just not going to go be around those people, right? But we're here to worship God. And we should not let anyone stop us. Nothing stand in our way. The Bible encourages us to be steadfast in our prayer. Luke 18.1, men ought to always pray and not faint. He tells a parable about the woman who who goes to the ruler, the judge, and and he doesn't care about anyone. He cares about himself, but she she continues. She keeps pestering him. And so he gives her what she wants, so she'll go away, right? He doesn't want to help, but God does want to help, and he does love us, and he does care. And so God wants us to come to him steadfastly. She also came fervently. The text refers that she cried. In fact, so much so that she is bothering, it's bothering the disciples that she's here doing this and they want her sent away. Whatever the case, she is passionate about this and she knows where to turn to get 
help. She really wants this. And I'm, I'm reminded of the publican who prays, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right? He's sincere. The Pharisee's prayer is, is lifting himself up. It's not lifting God up. It's cold. It's, uh, it's practiced. Right? It's arrogant. And so we need to pray fervently, knowing and humbly that we, we go before God knowing that he has what we need and he wants to help. And that leads to the last one, is that she comes boldly before. Here's this Gentile woman approaching a Jewish man. That is not something that was normal. That was very bold. You just didn't do that in that day and age. And even when Jesus says, bread isn't for the dog, she still boldly comes, right? You can... Come boldly before the throne of God and humbly and reverently. Hebrews 4.16 says we're supposed to boldly come before the throne of God. So we can't come humbly, reverently, and still boldly. In the sense, to come boldly is to come understanding that God wants to help us. He wants that relationship with his children. Humbly is by knowing that you can't help yourself. That you have to turn to God because he has the answer. And there's a connection, really, I think, between grace and faith. This woman's daughter is healed by the grace of God because she had great faith. And we need both. We need to come before God. If we are lost, you need to come humbly before God, but boldly knowing that he has provided the answer. For salvation. That salvation is obtained through obedient faith. That is, confessing Christ before men, repenting, that is turning away from our sinful lifestyle, doesn't mean we'll never sin again. It means that we're turning away from that and trying to walk in the light as He is in the light, and then being baptized for the remission of your sins. That is, immersed in water. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of sins. That's coming boldly and humbly, submitting to what God has prescribed for the disease of sin. And then, if you have done those things, but you're no longer walking in the light, you've, you've let sin come into your life, He provides a solution for that too. You can come boldly knowing that God wants all men everywhere to repent. He wants to to reestablish that just as the the prodigal son's father wanted him to come back, right? Wanted him, was looking for him, rushed to meet him as he sees him coming back to repent. God wants that for you. If either of those is the case, for you this morning. Don't go away lost. Come as we stand and as we sing.